So there's a clever commercial from a bank that offers a credit card with cash back incentives. You'll often see it promoted by movie actors or produce farmers whose other job is movie acting. And the commercial always ends with a question. And if you know what I'm talking about, you'll know that this question is intended to create a sense of uncertainty. In other words, if you don't have this card, you are missing out. If you don't have this card, you might be taken advantage of. If you, if you don't have this card, you might even be paying too much interest on your own card, never mind that according to this card's own website in the small print, it lists up to 30% annual percentage rate on purchases following the teaser rate. So there. But it's a clever question. And the question is meant to create a doubt in consumers' minds about whether they have the right financial solution to get all the satisfaction they want out of life. You know what that question is? We watch the same programs, I see. <laughs> and so, so now that you know that question, what I would like to do is revise that question. I would like to modify that question based on today's scripture and this first Sunday of Advent. And, and my revised question is this. Here it is. What's in your lamp? Yeah, yeah, what's in your lamp? And as a follow-up question, how much of it do you have? Isn't that the burning question of Matthew chapter 25? What's in your lamp, and how much of it do you have? Now, now, now before we tackle those questions, I probably should answer another question. Why should we care? So, so what, does, what does the question, what's in your lamp, have to do with Advent? What, what does it have to do with Advent? What does it have to do with, with the coming Christmas season? Well, today marks the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a word from the Latin Adventus, and it means coming or arrival. So Advent is a month-long period of preparation for the arrival of Christ. And in the church calendar, Advent spans four Sundays and then Christmas Day. Advent, in fact, begins the new year in the church calendar. So the first Sunday of Advent is, in a way, like the first day of the year in, in, in church time. In church time. You see, Christianity asserts that all starts with what God is doing and not what we're doing. And so in Advent, we recall the storyline of the Bible. And I can summarize that storyline in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Say that with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the storyline of the Bible. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's beautiful, good, and sinless creation. God saw all that he had made, and he said that it was very good creation. But following Genesis 1 and 2, there's Genesis 3. 
And there we witness the entrance of sin into God's very good creation and its subsequent fall, creation fall. Nothing remains untouched by sin. Nothing. Everything in this creation, every nook and cranny of creation has been infected by by sin, by the fall. Things are not as they should be. Creation, fall. Oh, but God was not content to leave the fall, the fall. And the rest of the Bible is the storyline of God's plan of redemption, creation, fall, redemption. And that redemption culminates in the birth of a baby, the advent of Christ, creation, fall, redemption. And then one day, all of creation will witness a second advent. Yes, Christ promises to appear again for the restoration of all things. I've just summarized the Bible for us here. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So in Advent, we look back at Jesus' first arrival to bring redemption. And in Advent, we look ahead to his second arrival bringing restoration. And, and that means that we live in the time between redemption and restoration. More on that later. But we need to understand that a season of Advent encompasses both the Advent in the manger and the Advent in glory. Because the New Testament asserts this. Why I'm thinking of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 where the Hebrew writer says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's Advent 1, will appear a second time, that's Advent 2, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Hebrews 9 and 28. And then I'm thinking of Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, This Jesus, the angel says, The angel says to the apostles, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, that's Advent 1, will come in the same way, that's Advent 2, that you saw him go into heaven. You see, Advent 1 and 2. Advent 1 focuses on the littleness of Christ. Advent 2 focuses on the greatness of Christ. Advent 1 concerns the humility of Christ. Advent 2 concerns the splendid glory of Christ. Advent 1 proclaims that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Advent 2 proclaims that Christ will one day come to judge all of creation. In Advent 1, the door of the inn was shut on Christ. In Advent 2, Christ himself will shut the door. In Advent 1, we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child. But in Advent 2, we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. I'll just say it one more time. In Advent 1, we say with the Apostle John, now, now we are God's children, but what we will be has not yet appeared Until Advent 2, when John finishes the sentence, when he appears, we will be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. Don't you long for that day when you will be like, when people will say, right, Randy, you look like Jesus. Randy, you don't look like Randy, you look like Jesus. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, we need both, Advent 1 and 2, lest we succumb to, to mushy sentimentality. Advent reminds us that the child in the manger is the ruler of the world. And there's not a political party of any nation on earth that can usher in the new heavens and the new earth. There's only one who can restore. His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Advent. Are you with me? Advent helps us through four of life's biggest questions. Where did we come from? What is our problem? What is the solution? And how will things end for us? Where did we come from? What is our problem? What is the solution? How will things end for us? Why, I just gave those answers, didn't I? Where did we come from? Well, that's creation. What's our problem? The fall. What's the solution? Redemption. How will things end for us? restoration restoration yeah now here's a fifth question for your notes what time is it what time is it that's what the parable in matthew 25 answers so, see right here right now our lives are lived between the two advents we we live between what Christ has done in redemption and what he will do in restoration so we live in this 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 oh this season of now and not yet and in this very moment by grace through faith your sins are forgiven you're redeemed and chosen and adopted all because of Christ's first advent but one day we shall be changed we shall be changed and that takes us to this parable. You see, this parable is the story of your life. You're in this parable. Do you know that? Yeah. You're in this parable. You're hearing this parable, and you're in this parable. And here's the big idea of this parable for us who live between the seasons of Advents. Here it is. Big idea coming your way. The Lord is coming. Get ready. Stay ready. The Lord is coming. Get ready. Stay ready. The, the, the command for readiness and preparation goes back to Isaiah of old. That's why we heard in our reading, prepare for the Lord. His glory shall be revealed. Prepare a highway for the advent of the king. Raise the grade of the valley. Lower the height of the mountain. Fill in the potholes, make the uneven ground level so that the king's procession goes unobstructed. And get this done ahead of time, Isaiah says, for the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Yes, yes, the, the Lord is coming. Get ready and stay ready. Oh, this, this, this road leveling theme of preparation turns into a, a wedding ceremony theme as we consider the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Now, about weddings in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, weddings had two parts. There was a betrothal, engagement season, and then 
the ceremony. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25, and let's take a look at verses 1 through 13. Because in these scripture verses here, and you'll find that on page 830 of your church Bibles, in, in, in Matthew 25, we, we see that there's this season of engagement prior to the season of the ceremony. And, and the engagement was an engagement that could last months or even years in Jesus' day. But on the day of the ceremony, on the day of the ceremony, the groom would go and get the bride at her home. Now, the way we do weddings here at Windsor Road is they both kind of meet here in the church house with their families and there's a processional but but it's just a little different back then back then the groom would go and get the bride at her home and then and then would bring her to his home and that's where the ceremony would take place and when the groom got his bride he would put her on us on a riding animal and there would be this spontaneous parade or procession which would take the scenic route the longest route possible the longest route. Why? So this, this groom could show off the bride. That's why. The groom wants to see all of the villagers uh, and celebrate with them as they're winding their way back. And there'd be a crowd that would be swelling outside the door of the groom's estate and waiting for the groom's arrival. And, and, and so here, the scripture says that at the door of the groom's estate waited ten virgins. Why ten? Because it's a big wedding. That's why. Why virgins? Because in Hebrew culture, the bridesmaids would be unmarried. And there at the groom's estate, the scripture says they waited. They waited. They waited. Oh, this was a long wait. Usually the wedding ceremony gets done, gets done by, 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 by 5 p.m. on Saturday so that the custodians could clean the church facility for, for church on Sunday. But no, 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 this, one's, this is running late. Where's the photographer? I don't know. He's late. Who knows why the, the lateness is happening? But there's a delay that's going on, and, and, and now it's, it's getting dark, and, and, and night has fallen. And so the, 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 the ten bridesmaids, they have to have lamps. They have to have lamps for their safety, and they have to have lamps for their identification, and, and then they have to have lamps for the celebration that's going to take place once they go inside the estate. Uh, there might even be a torch dance as the celebration begins. There's going to be a party, but first there's this delay, and the delay is such that it makes them drowsy. You see that? All of them became drowsy, and they slept. All were drowsy and all slept. And so sleep is not a negative in this parable. Sleep is good. Sleep is of God, of course. Sleep just means that the wait is long. They were asleep a long time in the middle of the night until there was the noise, until they heard the noise of the midnight procession and, and they they quickly they, they they awoke five of these young ladies five of them the wise ones calmly fill their lamps with reserves and they trim their wicks they're ready they're ready the other five not so wise to their shock they discover that their their lamps are out of oil but they brought no extra with them no, they, they begin to panic and then they begin to demand share share Give us your oil. We need some oil. Share. The wise ones 
say, well, there's not enough. If we do that, then there won't be any light in the house for the entire group and the groom celebration. Go, go, to, the, go to the store and get, 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 some, get some oil for yourselves. Go, go, go. Walmart may be open. I don't know. Go, go get some. They rush out. And then while they're gone, the groom appears. And the doors open. And the wedding party enters. And the feast begins. And the door was shut. And then the other five returned. They started knocking. Let us in. Let us in. And through the locked door, they heard the groom's voice. Do I know you? I don't think I know you. We've already started. And the parable concludes. And it's kind of open-ended, right? I mean, so did he open the door? Are the foolish bridesmaids going to get to come in? What's, what's, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? The point is the Lord's coming. Get ready. Stay ready. Get ready. Stay ready. What does that mean? What does that mean for us here today? What does that mean for us in these exhausting days and hours where we have to wait for Christ who has yet to return? And it seems some days that he never will. And our knees begin to sag and we, we start to lose hope. We start to lose hope. You know this parable took place at night. I said that. Isn't that when Advent begins? Advent begins at night. Days are short. Nights are long. They're cloudy. They're gray. And it's not lost on me that many of us here have been living in long, gray, cloudy, dark nights as you've had to wait. You've had to wait for your surgery. You've had to wait for the first Christmas without your spouse. You've had to wait for your next oncology appointment. You know, our present-day life organizes itself to eliminate the throbbing pain of waiting, right? We can click on a link on a website and get our product in two days. We, we can join an online wait list to expedite breakfast or visit the barber. We can always find a podcast to listen to or a show to watch or a book to read. I got to tell you, I'm grateful for these conveniences, but some things can't be soothed by a podcast. So I go back to the question, what's in your lamp? And how much of it do you have? And is what's in your lamp sufficient to ready your soul through the long night? What's it mean to be ready at all hours of the night anyway? I think back to the night of that first Passover in Israel's history in the book of Exodus when Israel was told, eat fully dressed for the trip. Eat with sandals on your feet. Eat with a staff in your hand. And eat in haste. Now, why, why? Well, because the next day they're leaving Egypt and they're going, headed toward the promised land. Does this mean that we always have to gobble down our dinner standing up? 
Does this mean we need to prop our eyelids with toothpicks? No, of course not. No, nobody can be awake all the time. All ten of them went to sleep. God understands our weaknesses. Zombie eyes are not what's wanted here. What's wanted is that stored up emergency supply to last while we, as St. Peter says, wait for the promised new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yeah, yeah. Get ready, stay ready, be prepared with surplus, you see. All, all, all ten were alike in many ways. Uh, they dressed similarly. They waited similarly. They all had lamps. All ten fell asleep, but there was one difference. One difference. One aspect that differentiated wise from unwise. Surplus oil. That was it. The wise ones were ready. The foolish ones weren't. And that's the point of the parable here. You, that you are responsible to keep a personal reserve of readiness for the king's return. And notice I said keep. I didn't say produce. No, 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 no. No, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Th those are harvest products created by the Holy Spirit of God in and through my body. The fruit of the Spirit. Can, can, can the oil in your lamp produce that? So, so well, well, Some may ask, well, why didn't the bridesmaids share their oil? Friends, some things can't be shared. I want every person in this room to grow in Christ. But church family, I can, I can pray for you in the fireside room, but I can't do the praying that you're supposed to be praying. See, I, I, I can't do your Bible reading for you. I can't do your serving for you. I, I can't be godly for you. See, I can't borrow the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can't borrow your faith, and I can't borrow your obedience. Christian spiritual growth can't be traded or shared. If, if you're not what you profess to be, no one else can help you or stand in for you. My oil won't work in your lamp. Someone once wrote, The essence of all growth is a willingness to make a change for the better and an unremitting willingness to shoulder whatever responsibility this entails. So, so advanced planning is necessary reserves must be on hand delay is real there is no such thing as instant maturity and that's against everything our culture throws at us life in christ means the long delay so i go back to the question beloved what's in your lamp jesus is coming get ready stay ready By the way, what does a get ready, stay ready church look like? Oh, I've been waiting to get to this part of the message. Because I want to show you. I want to show you. I want to show you. Let's see. We're going to see some pictures here of what's happened here just this past week. Like last Wednesday night, right up here on this stage. Can we get a picture of uh, Eric's baptism? There we go. That, now that's getting ready and staying ready right there. This, 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 became, a, this became a holy place. 
as we witness this young Eric uh, confess his faith in Jesus and, and what a joy it was to have his see his mom. Sean was here too on the front stage taking it all in and Eric was baptized into Christ. That's a picture of what get ready, stay ready looks like. Yesterday was another first Saturday service here at the church and a hundred households were served. And this is a familiar picture. I've been showing pictures about every month of what first Saturday service looks like and, and the, the folks who came and who were ministered to and, and loved on and the hospitality that was extended to our clients who came. And it, it's, just a, it's just a beautiful thing. That, that, that's a get ready. But, but I want to show you, I want to show you the, the, the day before all of those pictures. Let's see, let's see. See that? What is that? That's, that's a prepared room. That's what that is. That's a get ready, stay ready room. Here, here, here's another. Uh, what? Those are, yeah. The, those, the, that macaroni didn't stock itself. Okay? So it's a get ready, stay ready. Everything was ready. Do you know rehearsing is happening right now for our Christmas Eve musical, Miracles Never Cease. It's get ready, stay ready. All right? As you leave and you go out into the foyer, you'll see the ministry catalog that we have uh, from January to April of 2024. See, it, there's get ready, stay ready stuff in here. See? So, see, what I'm saying is that while we wait for Christ, we ready ourselves as we serve and as we pray and as we love and as we learn and as we read the word and as we hear the word and as we sing the word and as we rest, as we rest, as we sleep, as we nap, as we share the gospel, as we live for Christ, as we work, as we go for walks, and we do so with a sense of readiness. Verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch. Watch does not mean check your email every five minutes. It, does not, it doesn't mean to press your nose against the window and stay up all night seeing if, if something's coming down the street. And it doesn't mean climb up on a mountain and wait. So everybody in the parable slept when it was time to sleep. The word watch means to be spiritually awake, to be alert, to be aware and attentive to the revealed truth that Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit has given us in His Word. Use every means that God has given you to know Him and love Him and trust Him and serve Him and be filled with the Spirit's oil of faith and joy and hope and love. That's what it means. And if you want a personal testimony, you need only look no further than Luke chapter 2 where we, we read of two saints, Simeon and Anna, who are examples of get ready, stay ready believers. The Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not see death until he saw the Christ child. Well, when's this going to happen? Get ready. Stay ready. Simeon didn't know when. He just knew that. His life meant waiting in faith for God to do what he promised. And God was faithful to his word, church. And that one day, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon into the temple. Man, he'd been in that temple, I don't know how many hundreds of times, looking and seeing which couples with which babies. But then the Holy Spirit on that day 
prompted Simeon who met Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And he held the Christ child. This old man held the Christ child. And with a soaring heart, Simeon said, Oh God, I'm ready to come home. Dismiss your servant in peace according to your word. God, you kept your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I know what was in his land. Oh, and then there's Anna too, there in Luke 2. Anna, Anna was a bridesmaid her entire life. This godly, saintly woman. She was a prophetess who lived worshiping and praying and fasting and, and waiting. And God kept his promise to these two. And their lives, their lamps were consistently topped off with the oil of daily readiness, daily prayer, daily worship, daily reading, daily serving, daily dependence on the Spirit. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, what's in your lamp? What's in your lamp, and how much of it do you have? Well, you know, a lot of preaching lands on the five unwise bridesmaids. And preachers kind of riff off of these unwise ladies to warn their congregations. But as I've shown you all these pictures, and I see all of the good things going around in this church family, I'd rather talk about the wise ladies. Oh, man. What about, what about when they were finally escorted in? Huh? Yeah, what about, what about that? At, at, they, that? Finally, they got what they waited for. Huh? Can you feel that for a minute? Finally, I've gotten what I waited for. Huh? They, 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 and they crossed the threshold to a new reality. And, and so, and they discovered that what was inside that door was far greater than what was outside that door. Inside that door resided love and peace and joy, delirious joy, beautiful joy, joy that was so rich and so full and so cascading that it made you forget all the pain. Is that possible? Oh, yes, this parable says so. That's how good the party's going to be. Yeah. You know what? You and I, we were made to be inside that door. We were. As one author said, the wor this world is too small to fill your heart. The best things that time can give you will leave unfathomed depths in your soul. It's a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful truth that you and I were made to never end. So get ready, stay ready. Yeah. Let me tell you about one more person before I sit down who was ready. Man, two weeks ago today, one of our missionaries, Javonda Barnes, died unexpectedly and quickly of a blood clot in her lung. 
Gary and Javonda Barnes. We have supported them as a church for longer than I've been here at Windsor Road. Yeah. Over 35 years. Missionaries to Thailand. Some of you were in the room when they gave an update about their ministry not six weeks ago. <laughs> and you could feel Javonda's effervescent personality. And her effervescent encouragement was all over our dining room table as we, Sarah and I, hosted them for lunch in our home. Her praise and encouragement were always Godward. In one of Gary and Javonda's newsletters during COVID, Javonda wrote these words, challenges abound, human trafficking, poverty, oppression, education disparities, idol worship, superstitions, air pollution, water pollution. That's pretty much life in Bangkok. To these we know the answer is for humans to admit that we need help and we need hope. We're miserable without hope. And this is our hope, Javonda said. Our hope is this. God is in the manger. It, it, it's quite a radical statement, especially to our Buddhist friends who believe that God is an impersonal force. But followers of Jesus believe that, that God is personal. He's a personal being. It's radical to our Muslim friends because their, their, their God can't possibly present himself as a human in a manger. Well, that's, that's blasphemous. And, it, and to our Hindu friends, with its hierarchy of gods, Jesus, the Son of God, put on flesh for the sole purpose of, of, of serving and not being served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Javonda wrote, we join the rest of the world bewildered, disappointed, annoyed, perplexed, sucker-punched by COVID. At the same time, we are immensely grateful and at peace. And do you know why? God is in the manger. That's why. God is in the manger. Oh, these are the words from a sister in Christ who lived ready and stayed ready and whose last words in this life were Jesus take me home just just bring me home Jesus just bring me home and he did and now she lives with God and now she is celebrating a wedding feast beyond all we can ask for or imagine church God is in the manger church the Lord is coming get ready Stay ready. What's in your lamp? Amen. Heavenly Father. Thank you for witnesses that testify to the Spirit's oil producing what we cannot produce on our own. Oh, God, <laughs> may each of us come with uh, <laughs> a, 
with containers that will hold what only you can produce so that we can burn the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name and the church said.